The world of story has captivated humanity since the dawn of time. The oldest known form of communication, verbal storytelling, is responsible for the continuity and development of civilization from its most primitive moments to its most advanced. Story involves a sense of mystical wonder, but is also a powerful medium for communicating real and concrete ideas that shape people's lives and make them take action. Steve Schramm, marketer, nonfiction writer, and story nerd, and Alex Jagir, fiction writer, wannabe game designer, and story nerd, join forces as worlds collide to discuss how story is the most powerful concept ever known and how it interacts with each and every aspect of our lives, from the most magical to the most mundane. Well, welcome into another episode of Story World. Steve Schramm here, my boy Al. What's up, bro? I'm uh, I'm doing well. Your uh, shirt is making me hungry, though. Yeah, man. Got my my wine hamburger shirt on. Pretty exciting. If you know, you know. If you don't know, sorry, you can't know. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm excited for tonight, Steve. Mostly because I don't know where this parable that we're talking about is going to take us. <sighs> yes, it's like a a fun adventure every time we do this. Right? It's so exciting. Yeah, so tonight we're talking about the wheat and the weeds, which I kind of mentioned the scene beforehand. It sounds like a classic book that one might read in high school, the wheat and the weeds. It does. Uh, it does. Yeah. Like almost like the catcher and the rye, but it's yeah. not. It's the, the wheat and the willows. And the weeds. Yes, this is the biblical parable of the wheat and the weeds. If we didn't mention, we're continuing on our parables series. And uh, this was in Matthew 13, verses 24 through 30, uh, excuse me, through 43. Yeah, what's interesting, uh, just reading it, so it's Matthew 13, 24 to 43, but in between is actually the mustard seed parable that uh, Steve and I covered a couple um, sessions ago. And it's uh, it, it's funny because, so Jesus is saying all these parables. He talks about the wheat and the weeds. Then he goes right on to the mustard seed one. And then the disciples like ask him to go back. They say, wait a second, can you go back? To the wheat and the weeds we actually like want to know what this means so it's kind of interesting that yeah. even the disciples really kind of wanted to hone in on this yeah for sure well and probably no surprise too um because also right nestled in this parable uh specifically starting at verse 34 um and uh actually just it's verse 34 and 35 um he goes into why he tells parables uh as well and so um they and which we're going to get into that in a completely separate episode because i think it's kind of worthy to kind of talk about on its own like why did jesus actually tell parables it might not be why you think anyway no doubt that was sort of intriguing to the disciples and so they wanted to know hey like what's up with this parable that you told earlier uh about the wheat and the weeds so um and i think it's i think it's really interesting so uh do you want to read the description of the yeah, parable? yeah i'll go ahead and do that uh, so in the parable of the wheat and the weeds, Jesus tells the story of a farmer who sows good wheat seeds in his field. While everyone is asleep, an enemy comes and sows weeds among the wheat. As the plants grow, the servants notice the weeds and ask if they should pull them out. The farmer tells them to wait until the harvest so that they don't accidentally uproot the wheat. At harvest time, the reapers will gather the weeds first and burn them, then gather the wheat into the barn. Yeah, that tells the story, and I guess we can go into the meaning of it afterward. But that's kind of, that's the actual parable content of it. Yeah, 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 correct. Yeah, that, that's right. So, 
uh, you kind of mentioned it was funny, right? Like, like this, this, this image of like this little, you know, the, the, the enemy going in and like, like sneaking among the, uh, the, you know, the wee outside in the middle of the night, like just, you know, sowing their weeds. I thought that was kind of a, a funny little yeah. thing. Yeah. Seems like a random, uh, thing to want to destroy on someone's field rather than dig up the crops or burn down a barn. They're just going to throw bad seed in with the good. Um, yeah. 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 hundred percent. Obviously. No surprise why this parable is used, just in the sense of again agrarian culture. Like we notice a lot of these yes. parables, like the vast majority of them are agricultural in nature. It's just something that they would understand. Again, historically, this is not um, um, it's not controversial. It's definitely not like I, this is just the the tools that they had to work with around them. I'm sure if we were telling parables today, we would talk about you know, people going to Mars and whatever, whatever, but this was not then, um, and, uh, or then was not now, whatever. And so, yeah, we, they use the tools that were available, um, around them to help them understand in some cases. And, uh, for some people that actually was a little confusing, but, um, but yeah, anyway, they, that was like kind of what, what was up here. And so the disciples kind of wanted to know what he was trying to say. So, right. The point is that there is wheat and weeds scattered uh, together, right? This is what the circumstance kind of brought was that they were together. And the point that Jesus made was that at harvest time, like, or, or if you were to wait, if you weren't, like, if you didn't wait until the harvest to where, like, you saw clearly what was wheat and clearly what was weed, then you might end up pulling out wheat when you pulled up weed as well. And, um, I, I honestly think if you're ready to read the next section, this kind of segues nicely right into, um, um, the interpretation of the parable, what it means. And uh, I think it's actually very, very powerful. Yeah. So um, when Jesus explains to the disciples what it means, uh, generally speaking, it's um, the good sower who sows the wheat is is the son of man is Jesus. And then the who's sowing the bad seed is, I forget exactly how he says it, but um, basically wicked men, you know, people who follow the devil who are, yeah. you know, who are not saved. Um, and it, I mean, that's kind of like the main point of it. and. Steve and I were talking about different routes that we could go down with this parable because there are a lot to explain. But the one thing that he had brought up that I think is a, is a good route to take is reckon, there's a couple of things to recognize. The first thing I think is that um, Jesus explicitly states here that there's always going to be good and evil and until the end of days. And you can interpret interpret this scripture however you want when the end of days is, how it's going to happen, when it's when it's all going to go down. But until that time, there's always going to be bad and there's always going to be good. And I think that's important to remember because a lot of times um, we either get we either get discouraged with all the evil that we see around us or we kind of even maybe shake in our faith a little bit, like wondering why there is so much evil. If if there is a God, it just doesn't seem to make sense. But um, just take comfort in knowing that Jesus tells them there is going to be good and there is going to be evil. And this is kind of just how it is right now yeah it's it's not like th there's a, a really interesting point like there are a couple versions of historically what has been called the problem of evil there is um and i i think sort of the um easiest way to think about it is you've got sort of this logical problem of evil which most i think it's fair to say most philosophers at least most christian philosophers ha are pretty satisfied the logical problem of evil is, is, is sort of dead um, in the water. Um, 
for the simple reason that you can't ever be in a position to know um, what a being like God uh, would do in any given situation. Like he could always have morally sufficient reasons for um, seemingly incomprehensible evil, right? So um, you've got this logical problem of evil and you've got this emotional problem of evil, which is um, really powerful from the standpoint of um, just the suffering that it causes you when you're going through something that seems evil and, and you know, like things that just happen, um, like, you know, why your home might be invaded or why a, a loved one might die before uh, the time is theirs. And so there's obviously this sort of emotional problem of evil that can affect the way that people think. And then there's there's sort of a, a third one that uh, I think aspects of it could fit into the other two, but it's important enough and it gets talked about as a separate problem um, that I think uh, it, it should be sort of considered separately. And that is what some people call the problem of gratuitous evil and suffering, which is basically the idea that there seems to be some suffering in life that just happens and it's like utterly pointless, right? It's like, it, it doesn't, it doesn't appear that there's anything good that can come out of a particular situation. Like it's just, it just seems like totally pointless suffering. And um, again, each of these arguments, if you were to like run the actual arguments and you were to evaluate them, they have strengths, they have weaknesses. Um, certainly some are more emotionally difficult um, than others. I, I do find myself squarely in the camp that the logical problem of evil is not a, um, is not a problem. Beyond all of those things, I think one of the most interesting things is that you would find many who'd say that actually evil is not evidence against Christianity. Evil is evidence for Christianity because the Christian story deals with evil. It has an explanation for the origin of evil. It has the assumption all throughout that evil and suffering are going to be part of our daily experience. And again, why all that is the case. But not only does it have an explanation for it and the assumption of it, but it also has an answer for it, a consistent throughout the scriptures, a consistent answer for the fact that one day there will be the alleviation of all evil and suffering in the world um, by God. And that is what this is getting to. This is getting to the fact that, um, among other things, come the end of times, come, come, come the end days, there is going to be judgment. There's going to be an answer. All evil is going to be wiped away. And um, again, it's just, it's, it's all part of this. It's all part of the package. In the world that we live in, we understand that there is evil. I mean, this is the Story World podcast, right? How many stories, like what percentage? 90 plus percent of stories are about the battle of, uh, of the hero overcoming some form of evil. Like even the... Like in most stories, you have some sort of a savior complex type thing going on. And it's like, why? It's because we need a savior. We need somebody to save us from the evil. And we all know that it's here. And so this is just another one of those reasons why I think the Christian story is just honestly the story of reality. It just mirrors reality in such a way that it, it just it just seems like reality. And the whole world of stories that we find uh, points back into this. And so this this is the point that's being illustrated so nicely by this parable. Yeah, I, I agree. And even though it's not um, explicitly stated by Jesus here, it, it's kind of implied where Jesus Jesus is telling us to, um, he's not telling us to rush. He's not telling us to, you know, um, you know, 
quick and try to, um, whatever you want to call it, to just destroy the evil or, uh, you know, it, it's not our job in the end. It's, it's mm-hmm. God's job. And he says th- the crops are going to grow, you know, uh, I'll determine, you know, we can see who the good is, who the bad is. And, you know, he says that angels will take care of um, the chafing of the, or the chaffing, however you pronounce it, of the, uh, of the weeds. And, you know, and he'll bring in, and he'll bring in the good crop. And so it's, it's almost like he's very, he's kind of explaining this in a very like calm way, you know, not with an urgency uh, to it and which kind of should bring, I guess, a little bit of, you know, um, peace to mind. Um, just to kind of, when, when you feel sure. overwhelmed with everything going on in the world and not knowing how it's all going to pan out and you saw like your neighbor doing this and you know, like this family member is into that or heck, even like you're dealing with stuff that, um, kind of slow down and maybe remember this passage as a reminder that God has it all worked out and this is just part of the plan that it's all just going to have to grow into fruition. Yeah. And, and, and again, this is just something that I love, like in this parable, you have a you have a really great explanation for like why it's not our job to root out the evil. Like all we can do as Christians is point people to the Savior, right? Is point people to the one who will. Because here's the thing: we can look. We don't have the perspective. And this, uh, I just love when like people point out a problem, say with Christianity, but then it's like it's like no, there are answers to that problem. And it's like oh, well, you're just making that up. Well, no, like it's actually consistent with the with biblical teaching if you look at what the Bible is actually saying. Here we find like this really concise, amazing explanation that we don't have in our finite minds. We don't have the perspective to be able to go out and uproot the weeds because we might uproot some wheat with it. And what like there are two possibilities, right? You might have somebody who looks like weeds to you and maybe by all indications they are weeds, but God has a plan for them. And before the end of time, they're going to be a piece of wheat, okay? But yeah. then you've got others that you're looking around and it's like, th- they look like wheat. And I, I can unfortunately name many, many people who we've seen this way, right? You look at them and you're like, they're wheat if anybody is. And then what you find out along the way is they were actually weeds. And we can't have that kind of perspective. Mm-hmm. We don't know that. And so we can't be responsible for eradicating evil. And it's not to say we don't get involved in politics. It's not to say that we don't try to minimize evil that's done and like, like try to outweigh, um, you know, try to put as much good into the earth as possible. I mean, I think that's all part of our duty as a Christian, but ultimately it's not our job to get rid of evil. It's our job to point people to the only person who can get rid of evil because he's the only one with the long perspective. He's the only one who really knows what this world needs and who is who. And uh, again, this story just internally um, demonstrates the the tight logic that Christianity has about the way that evil should be handled. I remember uh, growing up, my pastor would say that when we get to heaven, we'll be saying, "What are you doing here?" and "Where's so and so?" Because in the end, we really you just you just don't know. The only the only thing you should know about it is you, and that's why I and yeah, kind of a, a related verse in a way. It's one of my favorite verses is when the disciples see um someone. I think he's actually casting out demons, but like, he's not a, like, they're not, he's not part of the group and they kind of yeah. are putting him down. And Jesus says, well, what are you, what are you talking about? Like he's, you know, you're either for me or against me. And this man's casting out demons in my name. I forget specifically what he was doing, but yeah. And so, yeah, you're right. I, I think we tend to, 
we tend to be uh, not just judgy in general, but judgy about um, someone's salvation and whether or not they're actually true followers of Christ or not. And, you know, there are certain followers that talk about, you know, like we can see fruit from people and everything. But in the end, the only person that you know about is is yourself and your relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. That's 100% true. I mean, I really don't have anything to add to that. I think you did a great job there. I mean, that's that's exactly right. And and, and the Bible, go, I, again, like, like that verse that you mentioned, right? It's all like all this stuff has been handled. That's what's that's yeah, so yeah. um that's what's so interesting to me. Just I want to make the general point, right? That when you when you look at a worldview, right? When you're trying to evaluate something at the worldview level, really what you want to do is look for internal consistencies and or inconsistencies, right? Because it's when when you don't have a uh, an inaccurate worldview is not going to be able to accurately answer some very important questions, right? Case in point, I've explained this on the podcast before, but I'll just give you the brief version. Case in point, naturalism, right? The view that there is no God, there is no spiritual realm at all. You know, it's it's meat all the way down, as they say, right? Evolutionary, blah, blah, blah. Abiogenesis happened in the beginning. Somehow the world came from somewhere. We don't know where. Life came from somewhere. We don't know where, but we're here and evolution and blah, 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 blah. The problem is, is that there's no, number one, the Darwinian mechanisms that they say produced all of this change have been demonstrably shown to be unable to produce the level of change that we actually see. So let's just take that and just and just send it in our box over to the side. Okay, we we know we know that there's more to the story than the general theory of evolution of Darwinism as it's conceived because we know it doesn't work. Okay, but let's set that off to the side. Let's say it does work. If it does work, okay, it's still there's no guarantee that it selects for truth. It selects for survival value, and so we can't have confidence that what we actually think and believe is true. Um, we can only have confidence that what we think and believe will help us survive another day, right? Now, we obviously do feel like that we can come to the truth about things, right? The, the problem is not whether or not we can come to truth. We know we can come to truth, okay? We, we can look at something and say, that's red, objectively, like that's red, or that's a blade of grass, right? Like these are objective things. Of course, some people subjectively experience things differently, like a colorblind person, for example, but, but still like, Objectively, when you see all the, you know, again, it's red or it's a blade of grass, whatever. Okay. We can know that. So the question is, why can we know that? Now, it doesn't make sense that we can know that if the only thing that we have is a worldview that does not inherently select for truth, right? That there's no inherent survival value to knowing the truth of the situation. Okay. Um, but if, 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 we have a different worldview, like a Christian worldview, for example, where the creator um, is literally an, uh, a, a mind that is not embodied, right? Literally just a, a mind who creates other minds. And like this is a particular mind who by his own um, admission cannot lie. Then like we know that we have an obligation, literally a moral obligation to be truthful. And so it makes sense that in everything that we do, we can think truthfully. I know that was a really long explanation, but the point I wanted to make there is that there's a consistent internal logic to everything we see when we actually read the biblical storyline. Now, are there questions here and there? Of course, there's, there's little, you know, nagging things that it's like, well, 
this might be a little confusing or this might be a little confusing. But like, again, by all indications, we have a internally consistent worldview and most other worldviews are just not internally consistent. And in fact, they fall apart pretty quickly. And I think that's something that gives Christianity a huge feather in its cap. And this is just one great example of how Christianity deals with the problem of evil in a way that no other world you can. Naturalism can neither explain the existence of evil, nor does it have an answer for the existence of evil. It's, it's just, it just, it's a non-starter. It goes nowhere. Um, and we have all of that and more. So it's, it's really powerful stuff. I feel like that uh, we should start a second uh, podcast called Story World Podcast. Um, revamped apologetics or something like that <laughs> and just, right, and, just right, go, I know, I know. and just go that and just go that route uh no i, I know obviously uh, it's fun I, yeah i agree um and all this is kind of wrapped up in in just like a small amount of what jesus is saying here um and i really i think it'd be fun to explore too sometime um the uh kind of like the savior complex and like really digging into mm -hmm. the story of Jesus dying on the cross and what that really means and how significant that is. And then look at how that's influenced every story that, you know, breaks it, that almost every story that's told. And uh, I mean, that's beneficial too yeah. from both a writing perspective of how do you make a good um, hero? Um, and then also just looking at the, uh, the importance of, of Jesus as savior. But yeah, I think that's all I have. Uh, we could have, we could have gone the route of looking at the end times and this and, go into revelation and making some nifty predictions but i think that the uh, the route that we chose was worked out quite well we definitely took a safer route than that one and shorter i would say so <laughs> yeah, i have a absolutely. i have a lot of thoughts of my own still to work out on end times and revelation and all of that i i uh, i know how i want it to go but i'm not so sure it's going to go that way so anyway it's yep. uh, there's a lot to, there's a lot to unpack there especially coming out of a very fundamental baptist like you know, mm. worldview that I grew up in, and I'm sure you, I, I know you had some of that as well. Yep. And uh, so anyways, it's, uh, it's, it's, things may not always be as they appear. Anyway, thoughts and thoughts there. Uh, yeah, so that brings us to our story of the week. And this week, Steve and I um, share the same story of the week, and that is the, yes. uh, the Sugar Show. So Steve, you want to tell us about the fight that happened on Saturday? Oh, man. So yeah, we are recording this the Tuesday after the Saturday where it was UFC 290. Past 11, but before. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, anyway, so uh, Sean O'Malley won the bantamweight world title over Aljamain Sterling in the um, first minute or so of round number two. Um, how do you feel about, uh, I forget who was rapping, but how do you feel about him stopping the fight when he did? I know that was kind of a small point of contention. Yeah, well, that's always a point of contention, especially with some with some judges. So Mark Goddard was the was the excuse me refs. Um, Mark Goddard was the referee. Um, I have a couple so a couple takes on this, right? So number one, Mark is like as professional as it gets. Mm -hmm. He yeah. is a fighter. He had he is a he trains other judges. I mean this this is a dude with pedigree, right? He is a ardent. I mean, he is a professional, right? He is really good at what he does, okay? Um, there are some fighters who have beef with him because of, like, you know, other things that happened to them in their past. Like, again, imagine, imagine you think you get robbed one time by this rep. You are just always going to have problems with him, right? And that's, and that's kind of what's happened with people. Am amazingly, the only person who has yet to question the call that the ref made 
was Algerian Sterling, the person yeah. who got caught. He, yep. he completely respected the decision from the get-go. And even the first words out of his mouth when Joe Rogan went to interview him were, he was a lot better than I thought. He immediately gave the credit to Sean for what he did. And if you just watched it, the, and I've seen lots of people's comments on YouTube and Twitter and all that. And I, and I actually think that despite there being a little bit of controversy about that, most people are, most people are on the same page that he was given, that Aljo was given plenty of time to recover. Yes. And those hammer fists are. He got in a lot. Too. Right. He got in a, a dozen or so. Yes. It was a lot. Yeah. It was a lot. A bunch. A very, very hard hit. Not just a was but one from busted. Uh, but one from Sugar, who like that that's what he does. What he yeah. Does. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like that that is his ammo. If you watch his fights, his ammo is due did out of nowhere just come with a screaming punch that knocks you on the floor, hesitate for a minute, and then go seal the deal with some hammer fish just to make sure. And usually that's the first hammer fish that they block it out on. And he let him go 12, 13, 14, somewhere in there. I mean, he yeah. gave them plenty of opportunity knowing what he was capable of. I um, actually thought that guy and, was going to call yeah. it after the first two or three hits just because he was pretty so there. And so when he kept it going, I was pretty, I was pretty surprised. And then like, mm-hmm. yeah, he let quite a few blows go. So even though Aljami was kind of getting... Yeah. You know, trying to flip himself as round. Um, yeah, I, I, it's kind of hard to argue with the call. Yep, yep, it is. I, um, I'll admit, my first thought, my first thought, because I saw him like starting to scramble back up right as he made the call. My very first thought was that felt a little early, but then I thought about it for like three seconds, and I was like, no, no, I really think that was right. And the more I saw the replay the more I became convinced that it was a great call. And there's this one guy, um, I think, it, I, don't, I don't know, don't quote me, it might be, it might be Marab uh, Dwalishvili or whatever, I'm not sure exactly how you say his name, it's pretty crazy. Um, he's been one of the most like outspoken, you know, one of the most vocal critics of this move and of Mark Goddard in general because he's got past beef with him. Um, and... Um, He's, he made this comment about like, oh, you know, we train, we didn't know that. Like we go to die in there. Just let us go. Like basically let us fight. Let us die in there until we just can't go anymore. And and I, and I think this is actually a point that I've seen Mark Goddard make on Twitter before, the, uh, the referee. Um, and I think it's pertinent here too. It's not just the referee's job to like wait till the fighter's incapacitated or to like do whatever, whenever. The fighter's safety is actually his number one job, right? Making sure they follow the rules, of course, but it's actually also very important. Like I've heard Dana White say that um, you'd be surprised that even though as injured as people sometimes get, he said, compared to other sports, he's like, it's actually probably one of the safest sports because there's a, there's like literally like a quick, the, the process is so dialed in for what you do in whatever situation, like people go to the hospital right after fights to make sure they're okay. They are on immediate, if they get any kind of like cut injury or whatever like that, it's like they're on immediate leave for like six months. They can't even come back for six months. Like there is a lot that goes into it. And it is Mark Goddard's job and any referee's job to make sure that that person does not get hurt beyond what is reasonable. And so he was literally watching Aldo just keep taking these blows and he's like, okay, 
that I've seen enough. That's enough. Yeah. And even if, even if you could have taken a dozen or two dozen more, I mean, these guys, yeah, these guys are like, they're, they're, they're the peak specimen of what like a, of what someone who is determined in their career and what they want to do. So they're, they're going to push it as hard as they can. And whether, and that's for everything, whether that's uh, in Steve's business side of you, if you're a runner, if you, if no matter what you do, if you're someone with that hard mentality, you might push yourself and get burnt out. Or in this situation, if they just let the fights go until someone completely gives out, it could, you know, it could kill someone. Um, so yeah, yeah I mean, definitely the ref is there for their safety for sure. Yeah. And it's not a question in my mind, whether Alistair could have kept fighting. Um, I'm sure that he could have kept fighting, but at that moment, enough had been done. Like, that's the thing yeah. you got to realize with this stuff. Like, in that, could he have kept fighting? Yes. But in that moment, enough had been done to show that he was going to, that he was dominant in that performance. And, and even Aljo recognized it. So it's like, what do you do with that? I mean, you kind of got to go where they, where they went. And he deserved, I mean, yeah. he did a fantastic job. And I think, um, I think, I think most people understand. Most people are on the right side of this. So it was um, a great fight. And if you're not a UFC, a UFC fan, what are you doing? Oh my gosh, you have got to get in on this. And I definitely enjoyed the um the sportsmanship between them at the end. Um it and usually Huge. like usually at the end, no matter what kind of smack talking is leading up to the fight, usually there's like some, you know, some uh congratulations at the end or something. But these two guys look like they really got good respect for each other and like and you know, really face each other in the ring, um, you know, with with a mutual yeah, with a mutual respect. So that was that was really good to see. Yeah. Oh, I I was actually shocked to see it because there was a ton of like, you know, the the back and forth, body body block for months leading up to this mm-hmm. fight. And I know some of that is optics, and some of that is serious. And you know, but I mean, I think they very seriously had you know. But once um once Aljo was humbled in the situation and and just saw firsthand what. Sean was really capable of. Um, I think that was it. And you know what's fascinating? His first um, performance, which was a breakout performance on the Dana White Contender Series, was 2017. I mean, he's been at this for six years. Like you kind of think it's quick. Yeah, he's been at this for six a years, long time. Yep. And dominant performance after dominant performance. Literally, I think he's just, had. I watched one, the highlights. I think he's had one loss. Early on. And just just knocking people out and not just knocking them out. I mean, every time, mm-hmm. every time with style. I mean, with with serious, with serious swagger. Like it's not just any normal fight. He's, He's got player. a particular thing that and he just he he owns at drawing you into a shot, knocking you down, and just pelting the crap out of you if it's necessary. Sometimes the knockout just takes care of it. But he's a scrawny little dude. You wouldn't yeah. expect it, but boom, done. Um, I like that he has the oh, showman. You- Sorry, he's got like the showmanship of McGregor without like the cockiness associated with it. Like he's cocky to the yeah. point where you says, want him to be for some cockiness. Fun. Yeah, but he's got like an right, appropriate right. level. But um, like any, when it yep. comes down to it, like in all his interviews, he really just says like, you know, I'm going to go out there and fight my best. And, it, you know, I think he just yep. really, uh, I think he's, even though that comes out, it's just a natural part of the sport. I think he actually is pretty humble about like where he's come from. Like what you said, he's so been too. in it for so long. I think he realizes, yeah, um, yeah realizes all of that. Yeah, and it, I think he's one of those who is grateful for combat sports 
because of what it gave him. Um, again, he was another one of those guys, which is another one I want to talk about in just a minute, but he was another one of those guys who like the sport gave him something that yes. was absent, you know, and missing for him. And that's powerful, right? When, 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 when you're that devoted to it, not because it's just a fun thing to do or whatever, but like when it literally gave you something in your life that you were missing. Um, and, that, and so that sort of leads me to like the next headline five for me is going to be Adesanya versus uh, Sean Strickland. Have you followed Sean Strickland at all? I, I mean, not anything recently that I've seen come up or anything. Yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of like, it kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, it's not, not that he came totally out of nowhere, but yes. like, I'm actually kind of shocked. Like, I'm not sure exactly what ranking he is right now. Um, yeah, I'm not see. sure. Sean Strickland Ray. Is it number five or something? Um he is number eight, right? So that's how, this is how good this guy is. If this is if this is accurate, if this is up to date, if this is up to date, age thirty-two, current ranking. Check this out. His current ranking is number eight, and he's got a title shot with yeah, Adesanya. Pretty, pretty wild for the for the for the middleweight fight. Number eight. That's that's crazy. And the thing is, boy, I mean, he straight up deserves it. And the last time that he, he went out there, so he's got this crazy style where like it's it's super unconventional. And I'll be honest, I I don't know. I mean, everyone knows when I've seen fight Izzy. Okay, I know Izzy is a um he's he's sort of shocking in the sense that like he doesn't look like the rest of those guys. He doesn't look like a middleweight, right? He looks a little scrawnier. Yeah, he does, you wouldn't yeah. think that he's been like this dominant world champion, and yet he is. But all the other fighters that I've seen him fight are frankly a little generic, right? Like, and that's okay. Like, I, again, they're all good, of course, but like they're generic. Um, so Strickland is not generic. In fact, he's very unconventional. And that's like his whole, that's like his whole thing. And he also has this like epic, couldn't care less, don't give a crap sort of attitude. And his style is just so crazy. Like, it's going to be like the last style bender against a serious style bender. Like, it, yes. I don't know what to expect from this fight other than... It's going to be stinking awesome. It's going. It's so. just going to be so great. You're right, so, though. Every time someone gets up against, every time someone gets up against Izzy, they just look so much bigger. And I think Izzy's going to get demolished, but he just he does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, but he does it. He pulls it. He pulls it out. So I'm just really bummed awesome. to see the Strickland versus Maybe. I find you fight. I don't know what's going to come in that one. It's been a while since we've watched a fight together. Maybe we'll have to uh, have to come together for that one. It has. It would be. It would be a good. It would be a good we one. We get a that, nice sure. platter going on and uh Bro. Have that. Yes, let's do it. And I'm, I'm I'm already there. All right, Steve. It has been a good podcast. I think we got three or four more parables left. I'm looking forward to um yeah. the final ones. They, they it's gonna be it's gonna be good discussion. Yeah, no, I uh, I love going through these parables. I'm actually getting a lot from this. I'm learning uh, as we're going through them, I'm like thinking about parables in a new and different way. So uh it's Same just here. been a fun series for me. Right? It's good to learn. Um, I'm getting a lot more. Learn as we than teach. I thought. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Steve. Yeah, stay here. Um, all right. All right, y'all. Well, thank you so much. Like this video. Share this video. Tell your friends. Hide your kids. Hide your wife. And we'll see you guys next one. Let's see y'all.